Hello, this is Art Fuller, Ph.D., and welcome to another episode of The 5-Minute Expert, where today we're talking about communion. Now, I realize communion is a sacred practice among Christians, and my purpose here in talking about it is not to denigrate it, but I've got to admit, I've seen a whole lot of stuff that passes for communion. But hey, before we pour the wine, a word from our sponsor, Bread and Wafers. Folks, Easter is coming. It's the biggest day of the year on the church calendar. You don't want to be caught flat-footed and not have enough communion supplies. Here at Bread and Wafers, we've got it all. Pre-filled cups that contain grape juice and a wafer, easy to hand out and no worries about some old deacon that has the shakes spilling juice all over a visitor's Easter outfit. Kids got allergies? We've got gluten-free wafers. We got vegan wafers for the vegetarians in your life. And all of our cups are disposable so there's no muss or fuss when your people are done with them. Just pitch them in the can. That's bread and wafers for all your Easter and communion supplies. Communion goes by several names depending on what faith you practice. It's called the Eucharist or the Thanksgiving. It's also known as Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper, among other names. It's a Christian rite that is considered a sacrament in most churches, meaning it's of particular importance and significance, and as an ordinance in others, meaning it's a way to demonstrate your faith. For instance, the washing of feet is another ordinance that's practiced in some churches. But according to the New Testament, the rite was instituted by Jesus during the Last Supper in Matthew 26, where he gave his disciples bread and wine during a Passover meal and commanded them to do this in memory of me, while referring to the bread as my body and the cup of wine as the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. The two elements of communion are the sacramental bread, which is usually unleavened, and the sacramental wine, which for some denominations is non-alcoholic grape juice. After the Last Supper mentioned in the Gospels, early Jesus people practiced this sacrament as a way of remembering Christ's death on the cross. Paul the Apostle gives the earliest recorded description of Jesus' Last Supper in 1 Corinthians. Early on, the description Paul gives may have actually referred to an agape feast or a love feast, kind of a shared communal meal that believers ate together. So again, I don't want to denigrate or make fun of this this sacred event. But having been in churches most of my life, and people being what they are, I can't help but make a few casual observations. The two elements are bread and wine or juice. Now some churches get real uptight about the juice. It's got to be juice. It can't be wine because that little sip of real wine might make the congregants drunk. If you get to church early on the day they're serving communion, you'll likely see a couple of old deacons huddled in a corner pouring up tiny cups of Welch's grape juice into very tiny, small cups. Question, why do the cups have to be so small? You'd think grape juice costs more than printer ink by the size of the plastic cup, Why not give us enough of a taste that we can at least enjoy it? And interestingly, other churches insist that the juice needs to be actual grape wine. Grape juice is not a suitable substitute. And the type of bread is different at various churches. Some use a big loaf of real bread. 
The preacher stands up and tears it in half and passes it out to the two sides of the congregation. Those participating are encouraged to tear off a hunk of bread when it comes down the aisle. Now, I like these places. You feel like you're really getting a piece of bread. Of course, the flip side is that many churches use these tiny, thin wafers as communion bread. They are so thin you can see daylight through them, and the taste is flat. It's just tasteless. It's kind of like eating plastic or something. And again, why so small? Are you planning to feed chipmunks or people? Well, in years past, people ate the bread and drank the wine and didn't complain about the size or the taste of it. It was about the ritual. But today, we're a bit more sophisticated. We've got to have vegan wafers. No animal byproducts in my Holy Communion. And now somebody else demands gluten-free, as if the amount of bread in a thin wafer will cause an anaphylactic shock to their system if they partake. Give me a break. Some churches invite people participating to come down front where they hand you a plastic cup and wafer. Others have a big basket at the entry to the sanctuary and allow you to grab a handful for your family as you enter. This feels to me like the fast food method of communion. We don't have a lot of time here, people. Yes, we're aware it's the most sacred ritual of the church, but hey, the restaurants will be full and the ball game started if we don't get a move on. It's grab and go. Keep that line moving. Well, I was asked to participate in serving communion one time in a church, which will go unnamed, and this church used real wine and a loaf of bread, my kind of communion. They used also what is known as a common cup for the wine. This means everybody drinks from the same cup. This is definitely pre-COVID. So you take a drink and the priest wipes the lip of the cup off so the next person can take a drink. Refill as necessary. Well, prior to serving the congregation, the servers had to be given their communion. So myself, the associate pastor, and a 12-year-old boy stood on the platform as the priest started to serve us the wine. The 12-year-old boy was up first. The priest handed him the cup, and normally you take a small sip. This is not a Burger King Big Gulp cup. Well, this young lad must have seen his chance to get some wine without his parents being able to stop him. He turned that cup up and drank the entire contents of the chalice. The priest gave him a funny look, wiped the cup off, and refilled it before handing it to me. The boy was smiling. I think he had a sense of, I showed him. I drank some wine. Well, Easter's almost here, so if you plan to attend a church that day, take note of the communion portion of the service and realize you're participating in a ritual that's over 2,000 years old. Well, Larry, what do you have for us from the peanut gallery today? Jack Rabbit from the Shire emailed us to say, quote, I understand the importance of communion on Easter, but let's not forget about Easter eggs. We've been bringing children eggs since medieval times in Europe. In fact, Easter eggs used to be dyed red to symbolize the blood of Christ. And eggs are a symbol of rebirth. Unquote. Jack, thanks for your email. Certainly in Western culture today, the custom of coloring and decorating Easter eggs is widely practiced. I don't think you've got anything to worry about in terms of being forgotten. Well, that's all we have time for today, folks. Tell one person about the podcast. You'll be glad you did.